if you had a copy of God's Word, I ask you to please turn to 1 Peter this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 3. As you guys are turning there, the, we are called to worship God. As believers, that is our duty, is to praise God. In fact, one of the catechisms, its very first question is this, what is the chief end of man? The answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God forever. Now Peter is writing this to a group of Christians who have most likely just been expelled from Rome. He, they have also most likely are beginning to feel the fierce persecution from the Roman Empire. There could be some time beforehand, but irregardless, Paul, or Peter, my bad, Peter is writing to Christians to give them hope. And church, I know we just sat down, but I ask you to please stand again for the reading of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's powers are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your salvation or of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what persons or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he uh, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Our magnificent father you are so holy and so perfect yet we fail you daily but your grace sustains us this morning I ask that you'll be with us that you'll fill this place and allow us to witness you work in our lives I ask that you'll be with these in this congregation. I ask that you'll be with those who we have prayed about this morning, who are battling cancer or various other illnesses. We know and we understand that all things are guided by your hand. Give us peace and give us comfort. It is in the name of our King, Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen. You may be seated.
Peter is writing. He wrote this epistle probably in about 64 AD. And he is encouraging these believers to have hope in Jesus Christ. And Peter gives us four reasons we can give glory, we can praise God. Notice with me at what Peter says. First off, we begin in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can stop right there for one moment. Peter acknowledges one thing. The Father and the Son are equal in essence. The Father and the Son are equal in power. The Father and the Son are to be equally worshipped. They're to be equally praised. They're to be equally honored. If you remember, when Jesus first came, the Pharisees and the Sadducees took up arms against Jesus Christ because he claimed, not because he was doing miracles, not necessarily because he ran them out of the temple, even though that was a big part, but their big qualm was this, that he claimed equality with God. Peter is now affirming this. At probably 30 years or longer after Jesus has risen from the dead. At this time, the church has experienced persecution from the Jewish population. We remember Paul. He came. He decided those Christians are not worshiping God, so he went and he got permission from the high priest to persecute the church. Jesus saved Paul. We see a continuation of God the Father displaying that Jesus the Son is, in fact, God. We must, church, we must ascribe praise to both the Father, the Son, and we can even add the Holy Spirit. They are equal. They are not, the Father is not the greater of the three, and the Son's a little less than the Father, and the Spirit's even less than the Son. No, they are equal. Following Peter's ascription of praise to God, he gives us the reason we can praise God. Notice, according to whose great mercy? His, God's great mercy. Again, we can stop here. Notice with us, we are to worship God because he is merciful to us. Church, we stand before a God who is holy, who is perfect, who orchestrates everything according to his own will. He is righteous in wrath. Yet, he still chose mercy on us. He chose to give us mercy when we did not deserve it. Church, we are sinners by nature. We, as Paul writes, we are rebels. We are enemies of God. And God still chose to give us mercy. Church, we can praise God because he has given us mercy. Mercy. 
this God who created us chosen to give us mercy. When we chose, we can be our own gods. When we looked at ourselves and decided we can be our own gods, we don't need the creator, we had every right to be destroyed instantly. Yet God, in his infinite wisdom, chose to have mercy. And you know, according to the world, that is foolishness. It is utter foolishness that Jesus Christ, the Lord, the God, the creator, would die for us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolish to those. It's foolish to the world. But, listen, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul even reinforces this in his epistles to the Romans. Listen to Romans 5, 7. For one will scarcely die. One would hardly die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one might even dare to die. We are neither righteous. We are neither good. Remember the words of Jesus Christ. When, he, when, the, per, when the one person came to him, good teacher, and Jesus responded, there's none good but God. There's not a single person who is good but God. And last I checked, none of us are God. Not a single one of us are God. We cannot save ourselves, but God, God chose to save us. In spite of our nature of being sinners, in spite of our nature to be depraved and to be lustful about our own desires, God chose mercy. We can praise God, church, because we have been given a great mercy. We have been given so great of a mercy. Like I said, and though we deserve death, we have been given life. We don't deserve that life. Following, he tells us that we've been born again. Because of the great mercy shown to us, we have been born again. Again, remember the words of Paul. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. Peter tells us, you are alive because of the mercy of God. We are alive. Dr. Constable writes this according to this verse. Peter called on his readers to bless or to praise God for giving us a living hope. We have been Born again, we have been brought into life with God. We have been brought back into friendship and family of God because of his mercy. And we have been born again to a living hope. And this living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our living hope is not in a political party. Our living hope is not in our job. Our living hope is not in our financial situation, our living hope is rested upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your living hope is not rested upon your ability to do. It is rested upon the ability of what Christ has done for us. 
This hope is not a mere wistful insight. It's not a mere desire, I hope this happens. No, this hope is firm. It's solid. Why? Because Jesus has, in fact, risen. He has risen, and he has risen indeed. We don't have to worry about what could happen. One writer notes this. Believers have an unsakable hope for the future. Why? Why do believers have an unsakable hope for the future? For Christ's resurrection is a pledge for their own resurrection. Church, we will all die one day if we are not raptured out. But we have a hope. We have a living hope that our bodies will be resurrected and glorified. Why? Because Jesus Christ was the first of the resurrection. Remember in Paul's letter to the Colossians, Jesus Christ is the firstborn, the first one to be resurrected. That is what we had to look forward to. And we know it will happen because God has already resurrected his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's resurrection was the final stamp of God the Father saying, This is my son. This is the one whom I am pleased with. This is the one who has paid my wrath in full. That is the hope that we can stand on. You know, it comes to mind of the passage in, in Psalms where the psalmist like, my feet are failing, God. And then towards the end of the psalm, oh God, I trust in you. When my feet fell, my trust remains in you. You uphold me. But we cannot have this hope if we have not placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Our hope can only be served if we are believers in Jesus Christ today, church. If you're not, I'm calling you right now to come by faith in Jesus Christ. Because there is no hope apart from Jesus Christ. Not only do we got a surety of hope, but Jesus Christ also gives us blessings. We have received blessings. Notice with me in verse 4. To an inheritance. This is our blessing. We have inherited a great blessing from Jesus Christ. To an inheritance. Now notice. That is imperishable. That is undefiled and unfading. Kept in heaven for you by God's power. And is being guarded through faith. Notice with me the the four things that we can see in this text about our blessing. One, our blessing does not perish. Because of the great mercy of God, we don't have to worry about our inheritance, our blessing being removed from us. This inheritance is our salvation. This entire portion of Peter 3 through 12 is solely concerned about our salvation. We praise God because we are saved. And he's saying our inheritance is imperishable. We don't have to worry about somebody breaking into heaven and robbing our inheritance. We don't because it's not perishable. It's not, cannot be stricken from us. If you've got your Bible, I'm going to ask you to please turn to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Because I believe that this text in Romans fully fortifies exactly 
What it means that our inheritance is imperishable. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. And listen, listen to what God is saying through the authorship of Paul. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, if we are saved, who can stand against God? Who can stand against God and defeat God if God is for us? No one. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who can charge you? Who has the right to charge you with vile iniquity before God who has already declared you right? Who can stand before God and say, look how wicked they are? When you have already been covered by the blood and the atonement of Jesus Christ. Who? Can you stand against God yourself and say, God, I'm not worthy. I can't enter in the head because I'm wicked. I know your son died for me. I know that I believe in him, but I can't enter because I'm so wicked. That's other foolishness. Jesus Christ has paid that debt. If you believe in him, no charge can be laid against you to disqualify you from salvation. It is God who justifies. Who can condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Christ Jesus took that wrath from God. Christ Jesus had the wrath placed on him. You don't have to worry about the wrath of God being on you if you are in Christ. It's already been taken care of by Christ. More than that, who was raised? Jesus Christ was raised. It was shown that Jesus Christ was that perfect sacrifice. Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? We have a great mediator, Christ Jesus Christ. Listen, we don't have to go between anybody else to mediate our sins with God. Jesus Christ is doing that. Let's keep going. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation separate us from the love of Christ? Can distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul quotes, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Then he answers his question of what can separate us from God? Can uh, tribulation, can peril, can distress, can sword, can famine? No. No. It cannot. Why? Because in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Christ loved us. For I am sure, Paul is 110% sure that this is the truth, that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And remember who 
was the other author of Romans? The Holy Spirit. God himself wrote those. So when we read this, we could say, yeah, Paul was the human author, but it's really the Holy Spirit saying, nothing, neither death can separate you from God, no life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. Nothing can separate you from my love. That's, ex that's exactly what's being said here. Nothing can separate you from that love of God. That's, that's what it means when we read in 1 Peter back in our text that our inheritance is imperishable. We don't have to go around worrying if we are truly saved or not. No. We are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we've already experienced some of this inheritance. And that inheritance is imperishable. It never expires. But he goes on. Our blessing also is not defiled. Notice with me again in verse 4. To an inheritance that is undefiled. Undefiled. The one who gave you this inheritance is without sin. In Psalm chapter 5, it even says that God cannot even look at the sinner with love. In a sense. And this is a great, this is a great contendrum. How can God love the sinner but hate the sinner at the same time? The answer is Jesus Christ. God can look at us with love because he is gracious. He is merciful. We don't have to worry about, well, they can't be saved because they're not God's elect. No. They can come to faith in Jesus Christ because Christ died for all. We don't have to worry about who can be saved and who can't be saved. No. We understand that God is holy and we are not. And Christ is that mediator between God and man. That is where our trust is in. We can say God loves us and God loves the sinner because of Jesus Christ. We have a inheritance that is undefiled you know I, I sent in our, our group chat of this post of this quote-unquote pastor racism is sin amen racism is a sin Jesus sinned okay there's the problem Jesus sinned Jesus repented no Jesus did not sin we cannot agree with that because Jesus is sinless. Because Jesus is sinless and our inheritance is through him, our inheritance is undefiled. But it's not only that, our inheritance does not fade. Again, notice with me in verse 4. To an inheritance that is unfading. We don't have to worry about our inheritance diminishing in value because God's the one who gave it to us. God does not decrease in value. You know, one person noted that this is like the flowers fading. You know, in the spring they're so beautiful, but as time goes on, they slowly fade in color. We're going to get ready to see this. We'll see the plants that we have seen grow throughout the summer, they'll begin to fade. Plants will die. Our inheritance is not like 
that. Our inheritance does not fade. Our inheritance is sure. Our inheritance is true. Yet, Peter does not end with that. Our inheritance, our blessing is also secure. Notice again, it's kept in heaven. Okay, that's great. It's kept in heaven. But notice who is keeping it. Notice who is guarding it. This inheritance, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Your inheritance is being guarded by God himself. Again, it it goes back to it's imperishable. Nobody can come and steal your inheritance. Why? Because God is guarding it. Do you remember in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking and he says, all that in my hand nobody can pluck, and my hand's in the Father, and nobody can take anything from the Father's hand. I'm sure this is what is coming to Peter's mind when he's saying that God, our inheritance is kept by God. We don't have to worry about somebody robbing from God because you cannot rob from God. There's no possible way you can rob from a God who is all-knowing, a God who is all-seeing. It's utterly impossible. The supreme, almighty, all-knowing, perfect God of all creation holds your inheritance. He holds your salvation. You don't. Church, we can worship God. We can give God praise this morning because we don't have to worry about our inheritance because God is the one who is keeping it. It reminds me of quite possibly my favorite hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast. When I fear my faith will fail, He will hold me fast. Christ holds us fast. Again, it reminds me of a saying of Spurgeon. Noah fell many times in the ark, but he never fell out of the ark once. You can fall in this life. You can fall into sin, but you'll never fall out of the grace of God. But notice, he says, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Church, salvation is not a one-time event. Salvation is a lifelong expectation of the believer. In fact, we can go even further than lifelong. It is an eternity-long event of the Christian. Yes, we experience salvation when we believe and put our trust in God because we are removed from the penalty of sin. And now we are being removed from the power of sin, which is sanctification, Peter is now speaking of glorification we are, when we are removed totally from sin. When we stand in all of God, we don't even have to experience any part of sin because we are removed from it completely. That is what this salvation is. We need to keep our focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should not be focusing on other things that don't matter. Do you remember when Paul is writing to Timothy? Timothy, teach him not to go about vain 
talking. Don't teach them not to go about useless conversation. Teach them not to go about genealogy. No, teach them the word of God, Timothy. We need to be taught the word of God daily. Remember, we are not conformed to any one image but Jesus Christ. And the closer we get to Jesus Christ, the more sweeter he is to us. Now, we get to Peter calling us to worship. Notice in, in verse 6, In this you rejoice. And what? And what we just discussed. In all this talk about salvation, we can rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. As I stated at the beginning of this sermon, Peter is writing in about 64, maybe 65 A.D. And at this time, Rome was burnt down. The city of Rome was burnt down. Many historians today tell us that it was likely the emperor himself. He had such a greed for expansion and building, and he ran out of room in Rome, so he just burned it down to build new things. Well, the Roman citizens got so mad, and Nero could see this, so he had to find a scapegoat. That scapegoat was the church. That scapegoat was the church. He put the blame on the Christians, and the population easily accepted it because the Christians were already not liked by that generation, by that culture. They were already not liked. Nero, and it is believed that after this writing, shortly after this writing, Nero started severe persecution on the church. To give you a glimpse of what was going on, Nero would have parties in his garden, and you know how he lit his nighttime parties? He would roll Christians in pitch and tar, put them on stakes and light them up, and the Christians were lit aflame, and that lit the party of his. That's just a, a small glimpse. There were parents who had children who were Christians, and the parents were Christians. And, the, and Nero took them. The parents were tied to a stake. They were not caught on fire, but they witnessed as their children were dressed as lamb. They would put blood on them and other meats and stuff, and they released them to lions. They starved, and the Christian parents had to sit there and watch their children be eaten alive before they were burned at the stake. But in all this, Peter knew that the persecution was about to come. In his second epistle, he's saying the persecution's here. But in both of them, he is reminding his, belief, his readers, those who he's writing to, that Christ is worthy of praise. That in Christ we can have hope. That even though we are experiencing trials or tribulations, we still have hope in Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry about that because our focus is on Jesus Christ. The more we focus on Jesus Christ, the more we less see the persecution around us. 
because our eyes are set upon Jesus Christ. We are called to worship God for a great salvation, regardless, regardless of the circumstances we are in. We are not called to only worship God when it's nice outside. We're not only called to worship God when that's what we feel like. No, we're called to worship God when it's good times and when it's disastrous times. Many, many of David's psalms, they were written when he was on the run from Saul. He was on the run for his life. Saul was seeking to kill him. And David is crying out to the Lord, my enemies are around me. They're going to engulf me. But God, you're so wonderful. God, you're so great. Your might and your power are so marvelous that those who are encompassing me don't even matter. Why? Because you are so much more better than they are. You are so much more mightier than they are. God, my son took the throne from me. Now he's chasing me, trying to kill me. But God, how sweet is your love and kindness. How wonderful are your mercies, God. That even though my son is trying to kill me, I still, I still praise you. Church, we have more than enough reasons to praise God today. We are not on the run from our children because they are trying to kill us. We are not under severe persecution. We have more than enough reasons to praise him today. We should praise him continually. Notice what Peter says when we rejoice God even in severe persecution. In verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we praise God in all circumstances, it grows our faith. It also reveals the value of our faith to God. It also displays that our faith does not perish. It displays that our faith is sure on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And lastly, and I would say this is the most important, it gives glory to God. It gives glory to the God because we are not relying on ourselves, but we are relying solely on the goodness of God to be with us to allow us to endure no matter what we are going through. Rejoicing in Christ also increases our anticipation of his coming. Notice with me in verses 8 through 9. Though you have not seen him. How many of us have seen Jesus Christ today? None of us have. But can the second part of this be true? That though we have not seen him, do we love him? I hope the answer is yes, we love him. I pray that is your answer, that yes, you love Jesus Christ, though you have never seen him. 
What about this? Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We are not seeing him currently. He's not, in in the sense of physical, he's not here with us, but we still believe in him. We have a true blessing in that. Do you remember when Jesus was resurrected and, and old Dowdy Thomas? And he said, oh, I, I'm not going to believe Jesus rose till I see those scars. Jesus appears. Thomas sees them. And he says, Lord, I believe. And what does Jesus reply with? Oh, Thomas, blessed are those who don't believe or those who believe and have not seen me, Thomas. You believe because you have seen me, but those who have not seen me are more blessed. Church, we are more blessed because we have not seen Jesus Christ and we still believe in his goodness today. Almost 2,000 years later, we still believe in the goodness of Jesus Christ. We still believe in the mercy of Jesus Christ. We still believe in the death of Jesus Christ. We are truly blessed. Our call today, church, is to rejoice in Jesus Christ until he comes. We are to find praise, we are to find joy, and we are to find comfort in Jesus Christ till he comes. We can rejoice because we know that based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will be resurrected. Yes, it is true we now possess part of our salvation, but, as in verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, we are experiencing the outcome of our faith by sanctification. And because of that, we are experiencing salvation. Notice now the history of our salvation. Notice now the history of our inheritance. At the end of this portion of Peter's writings, concerning this salvation, the prophets, the Old Testament writers, notice what they did. Who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. They prophesied about it, but notice what they did. They didn't just prophesy and just, well, that's it. We'll go on about our day. No, notice what they did. They searched and inquired carefully. They didn't fully understand what was God doing, but yet they spent meticulous time, they spent countless hours reading and searching and studying their own writings, trying to understand a glimpse, a glimpse of what our salvation fully entails. Notice what they inquire. They inquire what persons are time. They want to know who was Jesus Christ. They want to know the time that he was coming. They also predicted the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. They understood and they saw that Jesus Christ was to suffer for our sake and they inquired about it. Do we do that today? Are we so concerned about our salvation, not that we can lose it, but are we so concerned about knowing Jesus Christ that we are in his word daily, 
that we are spending countless amount of time studying, looking into, inquiring who Jesus is. Remember, church, these prophets, they didn't have the New Testament. They did not have the completed canon that we do today. And they spent countless hours trying to uncover the mystery, as Paul puts it in the Ephesians. May we become more like them. That we sit and we inquire and we question and we look into the matters of God with sincerity, with intent. It was revealed to them that they were not serving or they were serving not themselves, but you. The prophets, through the work of the Holy Spirit, came to realize that they were serving us, church. Their service in writing the Old Testament was to us. It was to these believers who were dispersed that Peter was writing to them. Notice, in the things that have now been announced to you, it has been announced to us through those who preach the good news, through those who preach the gospel, this great truth that we are learning this morning is being preached. Yet, I want you to notice, it's only effective by this, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The gospel will only be effective when the Holy Spirit is involved. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who guides us to God. When we can stand here and have an intellectual conversation and we totally ignore the Holy Spirit, we totally ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit to come to Christ, we have done nothing. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who gave us the gospel. He's the one who illuminates our mind about the gospel church. We are truly blessed. We have that Holy Spirit living inside of us. Do not quench that Holy Spirit to the point you cannot even read the Word of God and get anything about what God is saying through His Word. But I want you to notice at the very end what Paul or Peter says. Things into which angels long to look. Do you know in Hebrews, when it's talking about when Jesus came in the very first chapter, Jesus Christ became a little lower than the angels? Do you know what that means? We're lower beings than the angels. The angels who are not demons, who did not fall with Satan in his rebellion, they are innocent, they are holy, they are righteous. They don't have a need for salvation. They don't have a true need for the gospel like we do. But they are looking, they, they look with curiosity. They look at our salvation and they are truly enamored. They're truly in awe at what God is doing through, to us by his own might. These angels have not fallen 
They do not need redemption from sin. They are superior to us. And they desire to know more about the salvation we have received. We have received that salvation. Can we say that we long to look into our salvation like that of what the prophets and even the angels are looking into it? Church, this salvation that is ours, it has a history. We get blessings. We have an inheritance through it. We need to praise God. We need to find reasons to rejoice in him daily. We are to worship God for the salvation that we have received. And I want to give you the four reminders that we can pull from this text of why we should worship God. One, God is merciful. If you need a reminded today of why we should worship God, know this, God is merciful. We should praise him because he is merciful. Two, God has redeemed us. If you need reminded of why we should worship God this morning, remember that through his great mercy, he has redeemed you. Rejoice in that. Reason number three, we have a living hope. We don't have a dead hope, we have a living hope. If you need reminded this morning of why it is so great to worship God, remember that we have a living hope that is founded and grounded in the work of Jesus Christ. And lastly, and I think we could pull this definitely out of what we just discussed in verses 10 through 12, we can rejoice in God because the word of God is for us to grow. We notice where the prophets, they longed and they inquired, they spent hours looking into this. We can spend hours and grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. Again, we're to be conformed to the image of God. Church, I believe that it is of the utmost imperative that we praise God, that we rejoice in his salvation, that we love him. I'm going to ask Vicki to come up. And at this moment, we're going to open the invitation. If you are not saved, we got men who are more than willing to show you from the word of God what it means to be saved. Maybe this morning you have been, you've listened to this and you found it helpful and you want to come and pray and confess to God that I want to worship you more truly. Maybe this morning you're sitting there and you're wondering how much more could I have grown if I have not wasted all this time about useless genealogy as Paul writes in 1 Timothy. My call to you this morning is not to keep putting it off but to worship him now. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads as Vicky plays. The altar's open if you guys desire to come and pray.